The text Nancy has read for us starts with a song and moves into a theology of Christ and the church. It aims to answer the question, who is Jesus in his Christological character, and what does that mean for the church? To answer that question, we need to spend some time both with the ideas of Christology and some understandings of Jesus. Christology is the theological study of the person, nature, and role of the Christ. So let's spend a second talking about the difference between Jesus and the Christ. Jesus refers to the man of Nazareth who walked the earth, who laughed and cried, lived and died. Christ is a title we have bestowed upon Jesus, meaning anointed one. It is the Greek approximation of the Hebrew title Mashiach, or Messiah. In the biblical text, there are both high and low Christologies. A low Christology means that Jesus was like us in every way except sin, that he learned as we learned and lived as we live, that he came to understand his identity as the Christ figure or the anointed one gradually over time. Low Christologies emphasize Jesus's humanity and in the biblical text are found most commonly in the gospels of Mark and Luke. Some would say Matthew, I disagree. The Gospel of John is generally thought to have a much higher Christology than the synoptics in that it emphasizes Jesus' divinity much more strongly. So the Jesus of John's Gospel is lofty, seemingly psychic, and clearly knows the mind of the Creator. Today's text is even higher than that and represents the highest Christology in all of the Bible. This section of Colossians is meant to help us understand who the Christ is. Specifically, it is the basis for understanding Christ's relationship to the church. All of Paul's assertions about our reconciliation to God are rooted in the relationship between Christ and the church. Through the hymnic lens, we are meant to understand Christ's sovereignty over all time and creation as that which makes possible our reconciliation to God. Okay, that's the hard part. We're done with the theological stuff for the most part. But which Jesus are we meant to see here? That is, which of the many Christs presented in Christian history are we to understand the text to be referring to? In his 2006 book, A Generous Orthodoxy, Brian McLaren refers to the seven Jesuses he has met in his life of faith. He was introduced to conservative Protestant Jesus in his childhood, a faith centered in the crucifixion in which Jesus's innocent self-sacrifice somehow cancels all human guilt. That is a direct quote I didn't editorialize. Over time though, McLaren struggled with this view because it seemed too individualistic and too legalistic without any concern for the wider world. Then he came to see Pentecostal charismatic Jesus who was present and personal and deeply involved with the everyday life of the individual, but still not especially concerned for the world at large. Next, he met Roman Catholic Jesus, who saves the church by rising from the dead and is resurrected again every time the Eucharist is shared. Again, this Jesus was focused only on saving one particular kind of individual. Continuing the journey, McLaren next met Orthodox Jesus, your Eastern Orthodox Jesus, who is the savior not only for an individual, but for the whole world, 
for whom individual salvation is bound up in cosmic salvation. Continuing the journey, he next met liberal Protestant Jesus, whose miracles and teachings were acts of mercy, um, born of the love of God on fire in a human being. This Jesus means for us to engage in healing and justice and compassion as a way of living a life of faith. McLaren then met Anabaptist Jesus, my roots, woohoo, who's focused on peace and nonviolence and who is meant to convene a community of disciples as an extension of the original sending of the disciples. This Jesus wants to lead a group of people learning to live together in a peaceful, voluntary community. Finally, he has met liberation theology Jesus. This Jesus confronted injustice in the whole of society and stood in solidarity with the poor and oppressed. Seven different Jesuses, or so it would seem. So which Jesus does this text refer? Which character is the right Jesus? I think looking to the text will help us answer the question. The hymn begins, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or powers or rulers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. As I said, this section is the hymn. It is the song. It begins by telling us that Christ is the image, in Greek the icon, of God. The fullness of God rests in the image of the cosmic Christ. All things are created in him and therefore also inhere and cohere in him. Because he is the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead, the lordship of Christ extends to all things from life, not to death, but through death. All that is lives each moment within the lordship of Christ. All that is is reconciled to God through him. All that is can choose peace with God. The text goes on. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. The basis for our hope is this gospel we have heard, which is echoed in the hymn above. The hope has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Here, Paul specifically is referring to the Gentiles. They are to remain steadfast in said hope because it is what will allow them to remain holy and blameless and irreproachable. Notice how, if they truly believe what Paul is preaching, they will act rightly. 
This connection between gospel and ethics is what undergirds Paul's counsel here. If the people truly understand what they have received, they will live according to the hope it reveals in Christ Jesus. Now, I could say a good deal more about the nuances of such and the neuropsychological limitations therein, but for our purposes today, Paul wants readers to focus on the hope that they have received because that hope is what will allow them to continue life in Christ. Paul goes on, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For Paul, the love shared in the community necessitates being willing to bear suffering for the sake of the gospel. The hymn says that God has reconciled to himself all things, and the activity of the church is meant to complete that mission for the entire world. It is meant to push us beyond our doors and to produce the fruit of hope, faith, and love in our community. Matthew Fleming writes, Given that Christ is the very structure of the universe, to live in accordance with his gospel is to follow the grain of the universe. Thus, living in harmony with the gospel produces good works that bear witness to the divine order of all things in heaven and in earth. Isn't that beautiful? So friends, as we come to a close, what are we to make of the Christologies and the Jesuses we met earlier? I think Paul has told us clearly in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created. The images we have fashioned, the Christs we have shaped, are all facets of the one who created and holds together the cosmos. Whether we meet Roman Catholic Jesus, who appears to us in the breaking of the bread, or liberation theology Jesus, who is with us when we confront injustice, the Christ figure holds together the cosmos and us with it. No matter how we struggle, no matter how we grow in understanding of his place in our lives, still it is true that the riches of the glory of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Seek the riches of that glory, my friends. Hold fast to hope as you walk the way of Jesus Christ. Amen.